so here's what I want to do. Is that me? Sorry about that. Get a little too close to the monitor, and that's all on me. Um, if you have your Bibles or phone or iPad or whatever else, if you don't mind, turn to um, Acts chapter 17. We're going to just spend some time in that. But before we get there, I want to tell you what the Lord is kind of doing in our lives here at Summit. Uh, one thing that it, I, the Lord's been pressed on my heart is that uh, to experience a movement of Him is really where God wants us to be. And so I want you today to really focus on the Lord in this, is to really think about a way to experience the movement of God, uh, a, a different way that you maybe ever experienced before. Let me give it to you this way. 1 Corinthians 14 says this in verse 1. It says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And then it qualifies which gifts, especially prophecy. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. Then it goes right into 14. It says, you know, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. But then he says this. He says, out of all the gifts I want you to desire, he says, you know, love's the best. But out of these spiritual gifts, he goes, I want you to desire, desire prophecy. And so I, I looked at that, and I'm thinking about that. And, and for years in pastoring, that verse has enamored me. And, and what I mean by that is this, is that you came today to experience the Lord. You didn't come for any other reason. You, you might have said, well, you know, I came because I feel like I need to come, or I came because, you know, somebody invited me, or I came because, you know, I want this. But the real reason you came, the real reason is you believe that something will happen in here that will not happen outside of there, outside of here. You came that you believe that you want to encounter the Lord. And, and I tell people that, I tell pastors all the time, I have people talk to me all the time, John, what about this, what about that? I said, people come to a corporate worship gathering to encounter the Lord. So here's what prophecy is. Prophecy is this. There's, it's, there's a lot of things around prophecy, and some people think that they're, they're a, a church family that like has the corner of prophecy, that you're going to get a word from God, and only coming here you're going to get a word from I just want to let everybody know that you know God gives us words in a lot of places, and a lot of different corporate worship gatherings, but God can give you a word. Sometimes prophecy is this. Sometimes prophecy is a foretelling, like this. The prophets would come in into Israel, and they would say this. Okay, if you do this, if you do this, then this is going to happen. Like, it, sometimes it was kind of scary. If you don't act right, something bad is going to happen. Or they would come in and say, hey, listen, if you would just seek the Lord, this will happen. Or, or sometimes they would say, listen, after 70 years, God's going to let you go into this exile. But at the end, God has plans for you, plans to prosper you and give you a hope and give you welfare and things will go well. Like, there's, sometimes there's really those type of words. Um, sometimes there's a foretelling and then sometimes prophecy is a foretelling. It's like taking the word of God and saying this is what it means. So here's what I want to tell you this. I am eaten up. I am, I am, I don't know what it is. I, I'm just going to confess where I'm at. I am eaten up. I want God to do something. I am sick and tired of saying, God, you did that for that person. You did this for this person. Oh, oh, they experienced the Lord here or they experienced the Lord there or there. God, you're doing in that. What about me? And I know you're going, but John, you're a pastor, like you probably experience God a lot. No. Like I'm hungry for God a lot. I'm hungry. Like I, whenever God does something in my life, I want more. Like I can't get enough. That's why I think we all, we, we want heaven, we just don't want to go right now. Right? Uh, you, you know, but the point is, like, we, we're longing to be in the presence of God. Let me give an example of this. When you, when you prophesy, verse 3, he says, this is what prophecy is. 
Verse 3 says, in the New Testament, this is what prophecy is. He explains it. Verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people, or speaks to people for three things. For this, for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Let me say it again. When somebody speaks a prophetic word to you, it is to strengthen you, encourage you, and to comfort you. That's when you get a prophetic word from the Lord. Uh, Let me break it down for you. Acts chapter 15. I think they'll throw it out there. Acts chapter 15. Here's Here's some passages that show this. Verse 32. Judas and Silas. They were sent out from the Jerusalem church to comfort the Gentile believers. Judas and Silas who themselves were prophets, so they had the gift of prophecy, said much, and then I underlined this, look at this, it says said much to what, saints? What's that next word? I didn't hear you. Encourage and strengthen the brothers, which is what 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 said. To strengthen, to encourage, and comfort. So we have it right here that these prophets, these prophets went out and they said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Well, let's go down to verse 41. Verse 41 says this, Paul, he, went through Syria and Cilicia, and then what it says, strengthening the churches. He was prophetically speaking into people's lives to where they were strengthened to go and do the will of God. So my prayer today is this, is that when you came here, you came to encounter God, and I want three things to happen. I want there to be strength, I want there to be encouragement, and I want there to be comfort. I want God to speak to you in such a way that you can say, I just encountered God in a movement of God. Um, in fact, it's interesting, in Acts 14.22, Paul said this, and and again, Paul said this, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. He was speaking a prophetic word. And why was he speaking a prophetic word? Look at the last part of this verse. Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. There's going to be tough times. And so since there are going to be tough times, we need prophecy. And so we're starting this whole new series, this whole series of experiencing a movement of God. I want us to experience a movement of God. Now, I can't, I can't make that happen. So this is my struggle. I want to see God move in my life. In other words, I want to make a difference for him. Every day that I live, there's this unsettling unrest. Like, I don't know what your unsettled is. Your unsettled is, man, I I need to provide more, or I I need to finish this degree, or I want to be married, or whatever this unsettled is, or I want to go here, I want to go to college, or whatever, whatever your dreams are. That is what unsettles you. My dream is to experience a movement of God. My dream and my whole life is to experience a movement of God. Like where God uses us in some way that the whole world would just go, you know, that has to be God. I remember I was in a uh, master's in theology, it's called a THM and then a PhD seminar called History and Theology of Spiritual Awakenings. And we started with the burning bush and we studied all the documented spiritual awakenings all the way up, even to towards today. I mean, and, and I had to write 
about, I had to write, the majority of this seminar class was I had to take one of these movements and write about it. And I wrote about this college professor at Yale. I'll never forget this guy, Timothy Dwight. Timothy Dwight was this professor. His grandfather was Jonathan Edwards. when, When they came to America, they were congregationalists. Congregationalists are like the forerunners to Presbyterian. And this guy, Timothy Dwight, Yale had gotten so bad, which... By the way, y'all saw Harvard. Did y'all see in the Harvard, what is it, the Harvard Chronicle or the Harvard Review? Did y'all, did y'all see what happened? Well, they were going to have a Satanist meeting on campus, and finally this campus said, no, don't do it. So they had it at a uh, Chinese restaurant down the street. Yeah, at <laughs> a Chinese restaurant. Like, I'm not going to stop going to Chinese restaurants, but, you know, right? But, yeah, they had it there. This is a tr- You can read it. It's documented. And so, and it, all in the name of freedom of speech. So it's not like, it's, Yale was already going in a bad way. Yale was already jacked up. In fact, the local townspeople didn't like the school because they thought they were like better than everybody else. Long story short, this guy comes in, Timothy Dwight, he's on fire for the Lord. Like he, he was so on fire, like he, he, he messed up his eyes. He messed up his eyes trying to be disciplined and, and staring at the sun like when he was young. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. And so he had to kind of memorize scripture. And so long story short, like he gets up and he just says at chapel, they would have chapel, and he just started preaching the gospel. Like he would just preach the gospel, and there was this movement of God. Like let me tell you something, there was such a movement of God. There was such a movement of God on that campus that they started sending out missionaries, like almost in the hundreds, a hundred missionaries. I mean the school was in bad shape. The school wasn't doing anything, it was jacked up. And this man gets up and starts talking about Jesus. He starts getting so excited that uh, Noah Webster comes out of that. Noah Webster. Like, y'all know who Noah Webster is, right? Like, Webster's what? Yeah. Like, he, he's radically changed. I mean, and, and there were so many people that got so excited about the Lord that there was this one man. He got so excited, and I told you this. He was so radically transformed by the gospel that he said, I'm going to have as many children as my wife found the Lord will let us have. And Lyman Beecher said, I'm going to have as many as I can have. So he had 12 children because God was moving in his life. He said, and I'm, Lord, give me sons, give me sons, because during that time, the, the ladies couldn't do certain things. The men couldn't. He was saying, I want the men so they could transform the world with the gospel. Lyman Beecher was going crazy. Like, he was on fire. And y'all were sitting around there going, what does God have for me? Let me tell you what he had. Lyman Beecher was so excited. He was so excited to the Lord. He was trying to raise his children up. So they had 12 sons. He said, man, i got to have one more. i got to have one more. And they had a daughter. He was depressed. He was like, man, i got a daughter. Like, she's going to be stuck in this world. She's going to be stuck by the culturalism and the society, and they want her to do things. And God, how are you going to use this young girl? But she became so enamored with Jesus Christ. She became so excited about the Lord that she took on the social justice and she began to write. And Abraham Lincoln said that her book was so powerful that it was part of the whole movement that changed and did away with slavery. And Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, changed the very face of America. Because of Timothy Dwight preaching the gospel to a jacked up, messed up school called Yale. And if God can do it there, why can't he do it here? Huh? You're leaving for Peru. Going back. Going back to Mission Field. Your furlough's over. 
You're going. God's calling y'all to do some things. I Listen, all I know about Jesus Christ is this. This is the only thing I can tell you. Is the moment that Jesus stops becoming my joy, the moment that I begin to not do and want the things of Jesus. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's like water over a rock. And it just wears me down. And I, just start, I don't start loving Bible study as much. I don't start loving coming to corporate worship as much. I don't start, I stop, I don't stop, I don't really long for my time with the Lord as much. I'd rather just go do things in the world. Because my, my joy is not Jesus. My joy becomes something else in this world. And it just starts real slow. And then I don't long for a movement of God. I long what God can do for me. Keep me safe. Keep me healthy. Keep the finances rolling. Keep all my family okay and keep my friends okay. And don't let anything bad happen around me. I hear about bad things, but I just don't want to experience them. I'll pray for them from a distance instead of being so moved by God that I have to jump in the jacked up place. See, that's why I love you. And that's why before we even get into it, if, if I'm going to speak a prophetic word, I've got a struggle in my life. I want a movement of God. I'm sick and tired about reading about people who have movements of God. I'm sick and tired of it. I want to experience that. You could be the next Harriet Beecher Stowe. Because of Lyman, Lyman Beecher, man, was on fire for Jesus. Because one man, Timothy Dwight, said, I'll stand up and I'll take a broken, messed up school that's about to go bankrupt. And I'll go to a dark place that the townspeople, they used to, the people in the town and the people from Yale used to fight. Go out there and fist fight because they hated them. Wasn't that, it's not like today where we go, ooh, Yale. There was a lot of prayer. A lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes. So my struggles, I want to see a movement of God. I want to make a difference for him. I wrote this down. I'm at a point in my life, I am not satisfied. And I want to tell you something. I want to encourage you today in this. Don't be satisfied. If you're satisfied where you are, here's what's going to happen. Here's what happens. You spiritually start to erode. If you're satisfied where you are, there, listen, there's no way that you move in neutral unless you're on a downward slope. There's no way you move in neutral Unless you're on a downward slope. And most of the time that downward slope is you going backwards. It just doesn't happen that way. So I, I, I'm tired of all the people say, God spoke to me. When's the last time we can honestly say, God spoke to us? I'm tired of people saying, God miraculously provided me with. God miraculously showed up this way. I'm, I'm tired of people saying, God so moved mightily in my family, or God moved mightily in my work, or, or God moved mightily at my church. Or look what God did. I'm tired of it in the sense that, not that I want it to cease, but I want to experience it for me. And I have. But I want more. You see, I want to see God move. I need to see God move. So here's the question. The question is, can I do something to make God move? All right, so can you just go and open up the Bible like this? Well, that didn't work. All right, so. 
That worked okay. Tell me when to, tell me when to point. Just say point. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, all those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Thanks a lot. You just told me I'm going to die and go to hell. That didn't work. Let's try another one. Tell me when to stop. It's like a deck of cards. Tell me when to point. Oh. <laughs> All his laws are before me. I like this one better. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. Now that sounds more like me than instead of burning in hell. No more. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, is that how I get God to move? Do I like literally just get on my knees and say, okay, God, um, let, me do some, let me do some magical spiritual tricks. I'm going to read your word to you. I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer 12 times because there were 12 apostles and there were the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and then I'm going to uh, read for seven minutes because you created the earth in seven days. And then I'm going to do three walks around my house because the Trinity is three and there's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and I guess you like the number three. Like, is, is that what I do to get God move? Like, how do you get God to move? Like, what do you do to get God to move? Do you, do you like live such a straight and perfect life that he has to do something? So I started wrestling with this and struggling with this. Like, God, if you've got a prophetic word for strengthening and encouraging me, if there's a prophetic word for all of us, then that means you've called us to do something for you. There's something where we can get into the very movement of God like Jesus did when he came from heaven and came on earth and came into a, a movement that you already started because John the Baptist was already in somebody else's womb. All the prophecies lined up. All this movement had been going on. And Jesus jumped in into the movement of God and fulfilled the very word of God so we could reap the benefits. Sometimes all we do in the movement of God is do what God calls to do so somebody else can see Jesus. I.e. missions. So how can I get him? Can I entice him in any way? What if I say this? Jesus, 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 hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Will the Holy Spirit move? I stood at one church. I am not going to lie to you. I preached at this one church. I'm not going to mention where it is, but it was a storefront. And, and we went in there. And it was hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I, they said it so fast, I couldn't even count how many times they said it. I'm thinking, how many, is there a magic number? Do you have to say it 27 times? Oh no, maybe it's 40 times because remember, it was 40 days and 40 nights it rained. Right? I mean, well, what is the magic number to get God to move? What do you do? So here's the conclusion I've come to. After just doing this research, spending time with the Lord, here's what I've come to the conclusion. The conclusion is this, that there's nothing I can do to manipulate God to move. There's not one 
thing that you and I can do to manipulate God to move. There is not one thing that we can do. We can't say his name and pronounce the name of God in a certain way or memorize all of the Bible or go outside and let you beat me with Bibles on top of my head, which some of you want to, um, and, and get God to do something. There's nothing I can do to make him move. Nothing, but then the Lord showed me this, except join him in his movement. If you want God to move and speak to you prophetically, then join him in his movement. I'll prove it to you. I'll, I will prove it to you. This is where the Lord, how can I back this up? Acts 17, 28. Check this out. This is really good. Acts 17, 28 says this. For in him, for in Jesus, listen to this. The word of God says, we, what saints, live and what? That means we can't move unless God moves. You can't do anything at your school. You can't do anything around the people and your friends. There's nobody, nobody you can touch unless God is moving. And it starts in you. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Let me break it down for you. Let me put it in simple terms that only John Davis can understand because I've had one too many hits to the head. Here's what it means. For in him we live and move means this. In Jesus, there's life. In him we live. Jesus is my life. You drink that cup today, that cup is the color of blood. Wine represents the blood. That's exactly what they would do at a wedding ceremony when they would set the wine glass in front of the girl. And he says, will you marry me? She drinks the glass of wine saying that your life is my life. Your blood is my blood. In him we, for in him, in Jesus we live. Jesus is our life. In him we move. Jesus is our direction. We can go nowhere. And this is how God speaks. It's pretty simple. He does this. He stirs our heart to the point where we become restless. And we become restless like, God, you got to do something. I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not satisfied. Then all of a sudden, God begins to pull you to a certain area or pull you to a certain group. And you're like, okay, God, I need to hear a word from you. And so you walk outside and you say, okay, God, if I see seven stars in seven minutes or something crazy like that, and God's not even going to give you an answer like that. And so this feeling doesn't go away and it gets stronger. Then all of a sudden, you get to the point, you just have to take a step of faith because the pull is so strong. That's God speaking to you. You don't have to walk around the block seven times like Jericho and get somebody to blow a shofar. Now you can, but you don't have to because I promise you it's not you walking around seven times or the way you blow a ram's horn that's going to make God move. The only reason you do it is because God's already doing it. For in him we live and move and have our being. Jesus is in him we live. He's our life. In him we move. He's our direction and have our being. He is our identity. In other words, he's our fulfillment. There is no more fulfillment other than Jesus. That's why I have to be in a movement of God. I'm sick about all this education stuff I deal with. I'm sick of it. I'm sick about writing about people or reading about people that have experienced God at certain levels when I want to experience him. So the only way I can experience him is not to sit here and create some type of holy environment so that he has to bless me. I already go to what he is blessing. And then I experience him in a powerful way. But it takes faith to get there, and it's a scary journey. 
When it's scary to leave Utahville? Scary. You want God to move, you got to go to a place where he's moving. And I'll tell you this, the places where God is moving does not, are not the greatest places when you get to heaven. Ask Jonah. Nineveh was not the place he wanted to go. Because he knew prophetically that Nineveh would be the same place that comes in and destroys his people years later. Why do I want them to repent, God? They're the same people going to hurt my people. Like, strike them down. And God's not yet love. I don't want to love. And you know why I don't want to love? Because Jesus is not my joy. My family becomes my joy. My hobbies become my joy. My free time becomes my joy and not Jesus. And anytime Jesus infringes on my free time or my hobbies or my family, he's in the way. Now, does anybody else want to join me and tell the truth? I'm approved to you that I have to join his movement. Acts 17, 28. How about John 5, 19? One of my favorite verses in scripture that I really learned about Jesus. Well, what about Jesus, John? Didn't he create the movement? Nah, Jesus, listen, he's our example on how to live here. Jesus never created one movement on this earth. He just did what God was already doing. Watch what I say, John 5, 19. Jesus said, therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, in the Greek, it says this if you pull out the Greek New Testament. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do what, saints? Of himself, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So you're telling me Jesus set the movement? No, Jesus fulfilled the movement. God had already set it in motion. Look, you're my family. You want to experience God? Then you got to jump in. And your faith is the only thing that will either get you there or lack of faith that will keep you from getting there. See, to, to, to many people in this earth, Jesus is nothing but a good luck charm. They wear a cross because they don't want to die. Huh? They wear a cross when their families are jacked up. They wear a cross when they don't know how they're going to get out of school financially. They wear a cross when they don't know where they want to go. You can't make God move. I have tried. I have set out. I have set out when uh, trying to hear a word from the Lord. I have walked around. You ask my wife. I have set out after midnight walking around, walking around the neighborhood, walking around this elementary school. You Screaming at God, quoting scripture, just wanting a prophetic word, wanting God to speak to me. God, do I go there? Do I take this job here? What do I do there? Do I leave someone here? What do I go there? What if, what if, what are you saying? What are you saying? All these opportunities, what do you want me to do? And ultimately, at the end of the day, I had to go with what he was driving in my heart, which was his peace. And it took faith. And always the decision was the one that took the most faith. Hmm. That, you didn't hear that. It was always the one who took the most faith. For in him we live. He's our life. In him we move. We can't go anywhere or do anything. In him we have our being. That means my fulfillment, my joy, everything in life is in him. 
My being, who I am is Jesus. Everything that I have is right. If Jesus is, if, if my being is athleticism, then it is not Jesus. If my being is my academics and math, if I'm great at my new school, if I'm great at my school, if I'm popular, or oh, I just want a perfect family, or I want to be the best grandparent in the world, if that is my being, then I have missed God and will not experience a movement. Is anybody with me today? Jesus didn't move unless it was something he saw the Father doing. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Jesus is a copycat. He showed us how to live. So, how do I get there? So for us as believers, what does it look like to experience the movement of God? Let's go back in Acts 17, 1722. Man, I love this. Do y'all see my struggle? 1722, how do we experience it? I think the Lord showed us something in this passage. Acts 1722, Paul goes to the Areopagus in Greek. Here, here's what it is. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of Greek philosophers sitting around because they thought they were Epicurean. That's fancy words. It means this: that if you worked, if you were a laborer, you were nothing. And some of that Greek life has been it's in sin has has come to us in America. Some of that Socrates thought has come to America. Some of that platonic thought has come to America in this. Because those who are laborers are really beneath the real elite of society. Am I telling the truth? Those that do menial work are a little bit beneath those that make the decisions. That's Greek thought. It's Greek thought to say that the higher up, that the president's job is greater than the man who is sweeping the floor. But I want to tell you, according to the biblical model, that the person who is called to sweep the floor in Jesus is creating and doing more for Jesus than the very president who's in a position of authority who lives for himself. See, because if you go back and you look at Genesis 2, and you look at the image of God in Genesis 1. Do you know when you're at school that when you do your school for Jesus, that you are showing the image of God and releasing his But You are creating and cultivating the ground like it was in Genesis 2 and making it fruitful for the kingdom of God. So Paul's dealing with these erudites, people that are supposedly learning 1 Corinthians 8. Remember that this morning, right, Marcus, Lou? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So he's dealing with them. Verse 22, Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus. Do we have a picture of that, by the way? Do you have that, John? I was just curious. There it is. So he stood up there. The Areopagus, and, and this, it's, it's, you, go to, you go to Greece, you can see it today still. They're actually, you can't see within there, but and today they're actually like uh, kind of restoring it. You see the, the scaffolding on the side on the left, it's up on a hill. <laughs> Interesting, 
high level. And that's what they would do all day was they would sit up there and they would philosophize and talk. And the big influential people, that's where they went. So Paul goes up there. Like he's waiting on, he's waiting on some of his, Timothy and, and another guy, he's waiting for them to come get him. And so he's sitting there waiting. And, it's, and he, he goes up to this place where people are and he, he's going to experience the movement of God. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now let me pause for a moment. Now all of a sudden Paul's going to say, here's my opportunity. Here's your unknown God. Let me tell you about Jesus. So you are ignorant to the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. I could hear Psalm 24 echoing in his heart because Paul, as as a Pharisee of Pharisees, had the whole Old Testament memorized. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now you got to remember there in Athens, remember all the different temples? We've got this Greek goddess, we've got this Greek god, oh, and big old daddy Zeus and everybody else. I mean, it just gets crazy. Does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served, another one of my favorite verses, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Thank you, John Piper, for this statement. It's like God has a sign up that says on his building, no help wanted. Thank you very much. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Verse 26. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. That means Hebrews 9.27, once appointed to be born and die. Don't you ever let a doctor tell you how much life expectancy you have. Don't you ever tell him. You quote scripture, you don't quote probabilities. You got me? As your pastor, I'm covering myself on that. Don't you ever let a doctor tell you. Doctors bury their mistakes. Lawyers go to jail. Don't you ever let them tell you. Because only God knows when your last day is. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Verse 27. God did this so that they would what, saints? All right, so here we go. I'm going to go through this fast. The first way to experience a movement of God or to make room for God. Remember, we can't, exp- we can't make God move, but we can make room for God to move. You coming here today, you've made room in your life t- for God to move. The first way, God did this so that they would seek him. Let me give you the definition of seek. It is so powerful. It has to start with a movement in our hearts. The the, the idea of, of seeking Jesus is this. It means thinking. It means meditating. It means reasoning. Uh, it's, it's a powerful word. Uh, it, it, carries, it carries the idea of really focusing, honing in. That's what it means to seek the Lord. Jeremiah said it this way. If you seek me, you will 
Find me if you search for me with all your heart. That's what the prophet Jeremiah said. Strengthening, encouraging, right? Remember that? So he's telling us the idea of seek. It has to start with a movement in our hearts. Go back up to, um, go back up to uh, verse 17, Acts 17, 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those um, who happened to be there. Now, go, go up to verse 16. This is how a movement in your heart starts. This is how you know you're going to experience the Lord. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. When, when you begin to see something and it wrecks your heart that God's presence is not felt or seen or moved on your football team or on your other team or at your work or in your grandchildren or wherever else, if your heart is being stirred that way, God is speaking to you. He's wanting you to join his movement. He's stirring in other people's hearts. And the problem is nobody's standing up because God is waiting for us to stand up. So it starts in your heart. It's a response. Remember back in verse 27. Look at verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him. God put all this out there. He's given us this life so that we would seek him. That we would go after him. I want to ask you this. You know, you, when God begins to move in your heart, what is it that, that moves you in your heart that you've had like Popeye? You've had all that you can stand and you can't stand it anymore. That's for the older people in the room, Popeye. Because nobody else knows what I'm talking about. You know, I mean, what is it that you can't stand? I, I remember listening to my son yesterday. We were putting on music. We were coming back last night, Saturday, uh, uh, last night, Saturday night. Uh, we were coming back from North Charleston. And we're, I'm in the car with him. And we, we cut on a Christian radio station, 100.9. Now, it's a Saturday night for all my people. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and even for those of you in the 60s, you know what I'm talking about. Saturday nights, they bring out a whole different animal in us. Right? See, some of you are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. So, it's a Saturday night. Can we have some uplifting music? So we go to the Christian radio station. They're playing a good Christian song because I want my son to, like, constantly be filtering and thinking about the Lord so he can recognize the things of God. I want him to see that. And guess what? They're playing some slow, sappy, invitational worship song. Now listen, I'm all about slow and sappy, but can I get up and get down? I want to get jiggy with it, not fall asleep. Yes, I did. Yes, I said it. I did. I said it. I mean, I wanted to have a, I wanted to have a flashback to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and I wanted to do the call. I, I want somebody to do something, and they're playing a song. I thought I was in some type of invitational song. It's a Saturday night, people. It's a Saturday night. We're not at a funeral. And my son, so we try to change the channel and we can't pick up the other station. And he just said, I love what he said. He said, Dad, they don't even play good Christian music. And my heart leaped inside me. I thought, we're all the Christian artists in the world. How come, how come there's some artists that, how, are you telling me that Kanye West can write better music than Jesus? 
I know he thinks he's Jesus, but can he write better music than that? They're, they're, uh, listen, sorry my English. Ain't no way he can write better music than Jesus. So where are the so, Can somebody write a, a good funk song? I, can somebody bring it? I mean, and so my heart was, I'm sitting there thinking, God, will you move in somebody? Will you just move in somebody so that, so that we, can, we can have great music too? I'm all for singing old hymns, but there's a reason why they call them old. Because ain't nobody writing nothing new that's worth anything. God gave me a song. God gave me a song, John. God gave me a song. It's a good song. He's called me to sing up here on Sunday mornings. Really? Yeah. I know. I sing at my last church. Really? Yeah. I could sing. I was in the choir. I did all that. Well, let's hear your song. And the Lord! Shut up. God didn't write music that bad. And the reason why you're not at your last church because you got fired from the choir. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I said it. We need, listen, we need a movement of the Lord. We need a movement of the Lord in people. So I'm asking you to seek the Lord today. We're getting ready to do the Lord's Supper. Seek the Lord. Let's keep going and I'm done. Here we go. And perhaps, I love this, God did so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. The second way to experience the movement of God or to make room for God is to reach out for him. I love the New American Standard. It says grope for him. Now don't be going all in your flesh, mind, when I say grope. I know I'm talking to Summit. But it says grope for him. In other words, it means this. It means to crave in the original. It means to, to handle, to touch, to crave. In other words, to feel it. We can feel the presence of God. And when he's saying reach out, am I feeling the presence of God? When you want to experience a movement of God, you've got to get to a place where you can feel the very presence of God. Let's keep going. Reach out for him and find him. The third way to experience a movement of God or to make room for God is to find him. Listen, you know what that word find means? It means this. It means to meet with or fall in with those who come or return to a place. In other words, it's like coming into a corporate worship gathering. Finding him is in finding him with his people. A lot of people don't find God because they don't want to be around the people of God. It also means by inquiry, thought, and examination. And then the last way is this. The fourth way is this. Reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. I love that. God is not far from you today. Verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made of by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to what, saints? That's it. If the last way to make room for God that I see in this passage, the last way to make room for God to move is for us to repent. Now, I know when some people think repent, they think repent is just crying and that. It's not just that. Repentance is this. It's when, listen, it's when you say, Holy Spirit, I will follow you. And now the very things that, that Jesus' heart 
longs for, they become what I long for. They take over my heart. Do you know that's repentance? Do you know when we come in and we take this Lord's Supper today and we take it together, we take it as a family and you're there together, you're saying, God, I renew the covenant. This body, this bread, which was broken for us, which he paid the price. That's why there's bread. Jesus is the bread of life. His body paid the price for our sins. We get his righteousness and the Holy Spirit lives within us. That is why we take the bread and that's why it is unleavened because it represents without sin. That's why there's no yeast in it because it represents without sin because in the Jewish faith there, that, that even in the Old Testament, the Christian faith, we know that yeast represented sin. Jesus even talked about, about the yeast of what the Pharisees would teach. The, the idea of how they would say things but not do them and it was sin. So we get ready to partake this as a family. What we're doing is we're making room for God to move in our lives. When you take this, it's not just some act where we come. We are making room for the presence of God to move. Then you take the cup and you get in your group or whoever it is. And I don't want anybody. I, I know you're sitting here, some of you by yourself, and you don't know anybody. This is a great way. This is a great way to seek and to find the Lord. This is a way that we repent as a family and we just come to the Lord and say, God, everything is in you, from you, and by you, and for you. And so then we take, we take this cup that represents the new covenant in his blood. And every time we take this cup, this new covenant that's sealed in him, we proclaim the Lord's death, past, till he comes, future. Past and future collide in the present. All in Jesus. And we're making room for him today. So if you want to experience the Lord, there's nothing you can do except make room. And the only way I know for us to make room is to do exactly what the Scripture says. To seek, to reach out, to find, and to repent. And when we do that in our lives, God is faithful. God is faithful. He has never let you down, and he never will. Because letting you down doesn't mean that bad things didn't happen to you. Letting you down means he can't fix the bad things that happened to you. So we need to take time before we take this according to Scripture and examine our lives. 1 Corinthians 11 says that if we take this in the wrong way, that we're bringing judgment on ourselves. Some have even fallen asleep. That means early death. Because of, so he's saying, take it seriously. Examine yourself. If you've got to make something right with somebody, go make it right. If you've got to spend some time in prayer and let the Lord search your heart, say, God, there's some things in my life I need you to change because I can't change them because I keep going back to them. Hey, that's good. You don't have to be perfect to come forward. You just have to be willing to follow. You don't have to be a member here. All we ask is for people to partake of this is say, have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Have you received him? And then we expect you to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus did. Why? Because we follow what Jesus does. So take some time and you come.
and you get in your group, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you read the passage that says for each other. You read in the passage verses 23 through 26. Pray over it. You take it together. And take it with people you don't know. And make room for God. Call upon Him. Ask Him to speak to you. Say, I'm seeking you, God. I'm reaching out to you. I'm trying to find you. I'm making room for you. Lord, I come to you today. Lord, as they come over up and play over us, I just come to you today and I ask, Lord, we want to seek you. We want to reach out to you. We want to try to find you. And the way we do that is through Jesus. We just want to make room. So, Lord, if there's sin in our heart, bitterness and anger and frustration and hatred or whatever else, and the lies I've spun or whatever else, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, we ask that you would just move in us. We want to join your movement. We want to be a part of what you're doing. So, Lord, if we need to make things right with people, even though that we've not done anything to them and they've done it to us, and yet they're the ones that should be coming to us, but yet you're saying no. Blessed are the peacemakers. So we've got to be going and making peace, even though it's not our fault. Lord, As hard as that is, as much as it kills our pride, we'd rather experience Jesus. So Lord, we just come to you today, not as perfect people, but as a people who follow perfect Jesus. So we want to take this Lord's Supper today as a family. We want to take it in groups, groups maybe we don't even know each other. But the blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood that runs through our veins. So Lord, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know Jesus, all I can say is, Lord, may you be so beautiful to them right now and so good and so valuable and so worthy that following you and surrendering their whole life to you instead of surrendering the life to what they want, you would be that much more treasurable and beautiful than them living for themselves. And they'd realize that sin has created that gap and the only one who can make it right is Jesus. They can't clean themselves up. They can't stop what they're doing and then come to you. It doesn't work that way, Lord. Open up their eyes. Open up their heart. May their minds and their heart align so they know it's Jesus. And may they come to you and say, I need Jesus. Lord, I pray they let us know so we can move forward in this. Lord, this is our time. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. We want to look at ourselves and examine ourselves. We want to partake as a family. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we thank you. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. You come. You come and get in your groups. You come and partake of the Lord's Supper. Go in a corner. Go back to the seats. Go wherever you want as a group. Come and partake. Read through the scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 23 through 26. Somebody lead it. Somebody pray. Jump out there with your family. Jump out there as a youth group. Jump out there with people you don't know. Let's love one another in the name of the Lord. You come right now. You come and partake. You come and enjoy the fellowship and make room 
for a movement of God as we enter this journey with the Lord. You come.